This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific and Applied Biosystems' new Qualtrack real-time PCR and digital PCR solutions for biopharma. Give your cell and gene therapy development an edge with reliable and accurate qPCR and dPCR workflows backed by a trusted supplier. Explore the complete ecosystem of CGMP-compliant qPCR and dPCR assays, master mixes, and instruments at thermofisher.com slash qPCR slash biopharma. listeners, and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Harris, and my guest for this episode is Poseida Therapeutics CEO, Mark Gergen. Mark, welcome to Cell and Gene, the podcast. Thanks for your time today. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Good, good. Um, all right, so let's dive right in. So Poseida Therapeutics, you're a clinical stage biopharma. You have your own proprietary non-viral gene engineering technologies, and you're creating cell and gene therapies for, of course, patients with high unmet medical needs. Now you run the gamut in terms of you, you have your wholly owned pipeline for autologous and allogeneic CAR-T product candidates, liquid and solid tumors, and you're developing gene therapies to treat rare diseases. So in short, Poseida is doing it all, which is fantastic. So my question for you is, I would like you to talk us through the how and the why uh, for all of cell and gene therapy. Yeah, well, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, I, what we really think of Poseida as a broad genetic engineering platform technology company. And while we're known for, I would say, CAR-T and becoming known for in vivo gene therapy, we really think of ourselves as a broad you know, platform technology company. And our technologies, as you know, are quite unique. Um, <clears throat> compared to what others in the industry are doing. And they allow us to do a lot of things. So you say we're doing it all. We're actually pretty focused, although it doesn't maybe seem that way. When you think of what all the technologies could do, uh, we're really very focused on two areas today. And, and those two areas really are, um, you know, really an allogeneic CAR-T, not so much auto. We have auto programs, but our goal has always been to get to allogeneic. We think that's the future of adoptive cell therapy. Um, you know, we also believe that five years ago or so when we started down this path, allogeneic was not ready for prime time. And we have always believed that to learn using autologous CAR-T to learn about how to best do allo uh, was something that was very important. And I think others who have jumped right into allo kind of missed that learning step. So, so allo CAR-T is really the focus, although we do have one uh, legacy program in auto CAR-T, which we can talk about. Um, in gene therapy, we're really focused on in vivo liver-directed gene therapy. And, you know, that is actually a very, very broad area, but it actually is also fairly focused when you think about what is possible. And, you know, in that area, we've got a partnership with Takeda uh, that we recently announced to help move that forward. Um, and we're excited about that a little earlier than our CAR-T, uh, but uh, also very exciting. And then thirdly, we talk about using partnerships and collaborations to really do more. And so your real question was why? And I would say, you know, we are just strong believers that the cell and gene space needs new technology. There's so much older technology that was really not fit for purpose that if we tried to develop our technology one piece at a time, 
it would take, you know, longer than my lifespan for sure, right? And so we're trying to figure out ways and strategies so that we can develop more of the technology for more unique uh, applications for patients that are waiting. So while there's lots we could do, we actually think of ourselves as relatively focused on allocar-T and in vivo gene therapy at the moment. Yeah, good. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually my next question. I want to talk a little bit about off the shelf. Um, what are some of, just generally speaking, what are some of the biggest hurdles the cell and gene therapy sector faces when it comes to the development of off the shelf or of course, allo therapies? Sure. Well, I think here and maybe uniquely to us, we probably need to talk about the two buckets separately, right? So first we have sort of allo cell therapy for oncology, and then we have the gene therapy applications, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in the cell therapy allogeneic space, I think it's really a number of challenges that have faced the industry. One, you know, we believe that the technology that most people use, whether that's lentivirus or gamma retrovirus, are, you know, really 30 plus year old technology that are not really ideally suited for doing adoptive cell therapy. So the industry has faced challenges with, you know, using the best tools they had at the time, but really probably not the ideal tools to try to accomplish what they're trying to do. <clears throat> you know, I would say also allo cell therapy is more complex, not are you just doing the gene insertion or putting in the car or the TCR, but you also have to do genetic editing in order to make those cells right allo or less allo reactive. And so, you know, it is a more complex application of the technology. And I think companies are still trying to figure out what's that ideal balance between gene editing, gene insertion, and then how to uh, move those into sort of a manufacturable product. And so, you know, those things I think are all factors in how the industry has struggled. In our case, you know, we use completely non-viral technologies. Um, you know, we're highly focused on uh, the stem cell memory phenotype. So cell type is another question that the industry is still trying to figure out. Is it T cells? Is it NK cells? Is it gamma delta cells? So just many, many questions and, and it's fairly complicated. And honestly, you know, still a very new emerging area, you know, in terms of drug development. So in cell therapy, I think those are the issues. In gene therapy, I think the challenges have been, again, technology-based. You know, AAV, uh, adeno-associated virus, is challenging. It's expensive. It's got safety baggage. I mean, I think there have been 20 clinical holds in the last two years for AAV-based gene therapies. So, so that's just a major, major challenge that, that the industry is struggling with. And I think that, the you know, the markets, to the extent that matters, are, are you know, afraid at the moment of who's going to find a path forward. You know, in our case, we've pivoted to non-viral delivery for our technologies, uh, using nanoparticles to deliver these uh, technologies in vivo. And I think that that is the future. Um, and I think uniquely in gene therapy, it also is um, <clears throat> a question of what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, you know, if you're really trying to cure or correct the genetic disease, then AAV therapy isn't gonna work, right? It's a, it's a transient therapy, you get episodal expression nor is RNA delivery by nanoparticle gonna work because that's also a transient therapy. So, you know, I, I think there's new technologies needed. We think we have a very unique approach and, you know, we're kind of looking forward to delivering some data uh, on that later this year and in the next year uh, with our partners, Takeda and in our own pipeline as well. Good, okay. In just a second, I wanna talk more about specifically that your clinical trials that you have going on. But before we do, I know at the top of our call, you talked about how 
aloe is the future uh and but i do want to talk a, just for a second about autologous therapies what are your thoughts on it and uh, do you see advancements on the horizon for autologous therapies talk us through that just a little bit yeah, I mean, I think there's opportunities. Obviously, the, the results in the industry so far have been pretty impressive, right, compared to prior modes of uh, therapy. And so, you know, I think there is a place for it. I think the question really becomes ultimately to get to the most patients and to get to commercial scale. Are you ever going to be able to do that with autologous? I mean, it's a very expensive, fairly time-consuming process. Um, and so I, I just think there are longer term challenges to really making that a standard of care just by the nature of an autologous product or an autologous process. Now, having said that, you know, I think advancements are being made. I mean, I think ideally, you know, you would want to be earlier in therapy. I think, you know, Kite Gilead is making some good progress on pushing their therapies into earlier lines. I think that will be an important factor. Um, you know, I think you are starting to see emergence of people trying to shorten the manufacturing process, even to, you know, potentially, you know, basically treat the patient within a day or two of taking their apheresis. And so I think those are advancements. All of those things, though, are really trying to get aimed at what I think the ALO product and the ALO approach really does better, which is using a healthier you know, more naive stem-like cell, which you're going to find in younger, healthy donors. Um, and, you know, every time you're still doing autologous, you're going to struggle with, you know, the logistics of having to have the patient come in to manufacture their product, to come back. And so, you know, I think advancements are being made. And I mean, there are certainly likely to be certain indications in tumor types where autologous is going to outperform allogeneic. But I mean, if we really want to get this, uh, you know, modality to many, many patients, I think we, you know, we need to focus on allo, and that's kind of where where our focus is. Yeah, sure, all, all fair statements. Um, but I thank you for weighing in on that. Uh, all right, I want to talk about your ongoing clinical trials. Um, so, as of now, I know we have the autologous CAR T for the treatment of uh, metastatic uh, castration rest resistant prostate cancer, and the other for allogeneic CAR-T for the treatment of relapsed refractory multiple myeloma. Now, the third right is coming soon, the allogeneic CAR-T for the treatment of solid tumor cancers. Talk us through each one, one by one. Sure. Uh, well, the auto, the autologous CAR-T, PPSMA 101, <clears throat> is for treating, as you said, uh, castrate-resistant metastatic prostate cancer. Uh, we actually recently amended that trial to also allow us to treat salivary gland patients, which uh, salivary glands also express PSMA, and so that'll be an interesting potential subset. Um, you know, as I said, we, we do have an aloe version of a PSMA therapeutic uh, in, earlier in the pipeline. Uh, to a certain degree, I would call this program a bit of a legacy program. As I told you, we started out looking at auto as a learning mechanism. Last year, we you know discontinued our BCMA uh, autologous program in favor of the ALO program. And longer term, that probably is gonna be the case for this program as well. Now, having said that, we announced data you know, at ASCO-GU just in February of this year from the PPSMA program. And I would say probably the strongest data ever seen for in a solid tumor by a CAR-T program uh, in a very difficult to treat cancer, right? And so, you know, we're continuing to move that trial along. You know, I think we have learned along the way, there's things that we would do differently. And I would say hopefully better in an ALO version, you know, choosing a binder that's optimized better, things of that nature. I mean, the timelines of these programs are such that 
you know, you made decisions three or five years ago that are informing the program going into the clinic and the science is moving very, very rapidly. So, you know, we're excited about the program, continuing to think about doing another data update later this year. Uh, but I think longer term, you know, we would probably pivot this program to Allo as well. So, you know, so that's PSMA. We're, we're continuing to push it forward. The BCMA 101 allogeneic program uh, is up and, you know, starting the trials up and running. Obviously, you know, from these CAR-T programs, early enrollment is relatively slow. You have to gate the patients during the dose escalation uh, and separate them by a number of days for safety. So we expect to announce initial data on the PBCMA L1 program later this year. Uh, you know, we're excited about this, I think, because, you know, BCMA is a very well-known target. And so there's a lot of data, both our own and others in the autologous space that suggests that we should get a read pretty quickly on how this product is performing. And so, you know, huge unmet need. I think we've seen some other BCMA therapeutics uh, in the aloe space whose data disappointed a little bit. I think we believe we have some advantages there. You know, our big focus on having stem cell memory as part of the product and our technology that enables that, I think, is uh, causing us to believe that we're going to have much better data with an aloe product than we had with our auto product, which has not been the case for others. So, you know, exciting more data on this uh, later in this year. And then the PMUC1C ALA1 program, which is the one you referenced, the multiple solid tumor program, you know, we are starting that trial up. So I would say it's, it's active at this point. Uh, I think we will have first data, you know, again, later this year. Really, really interesting target. You know, MUC1C is not to be confused with MUC1. Uh, so MUC1 or MUCIN1 is a target that's been around for a while. Uh, you know, I think not really exciting to most people, but MUC1C is a cancer-specific form of that target. And so it emerges on virtually all endothelial-derived cancers, which is a long list, lung, breast, ovarian, colorectal, pancreatic. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, you know, a very exciting program. And if you think about it from a drug development perspective, you know, really interesting on a number of different sort of shots on goal. You know, activity in any one solid tumor should be exciting. If we have activity in more than one solid tumor, that's really exciting. And then there are some cancer types here that I think are extremely high on met need, like uh, pancreatic cancer, liver cancer. You know, if we see activity there, I think it'll be very encouraging as well. Um, interestingly, this is the first program that we manufactured fully in-house at our GMP manufacturing facility here in San Diego. So, so we're excited about uh, getting to date on that program a little bit later in the year. Nice. Okay. Thank you for all that information. And uh, it's a nice segue into my next question, which is exactly on manufacturing. I want to talk a little bit about, um, so you're manufacturing for that particular one in-house and talk to us a little bit about what you see as top or bigger manufacturing challenges right now and how Poseida has overcome them. Like what, are, what have you run into? What are you doing to overcome those manufacturing challenges? Yeah, I, I hear again, I think it, it partially depends on which segment of the business you're looking at. But so first, let's talk about autologous CAR-T, right? The biggest challenge, I think, with autologous CAR-T is that you are starting, obviously, with patient material. And these patients are often elderly. They've you know, been through six, 10 lines of prior therapy. So their cells, which is your starting material, are just not healthy. And so you've got huge 
starting material uh, variability in your process, which is always going to be a challenge for anybody doing auto car T. I mean, it's just always going to be a challenge. There are ways to, you know, help improve that by adding supplements to manufacturing and things of that nature, which we have done uh, by improving the process itself in terms of, you know, the tightness of the control of the manufacturing process and the expansion and things like that. But, you know, the single biggest challenge for auto CAR-T is always going to be high variability in patient material that you really can't control for. And so, you know, like I say, we, we continue to do process improvements. We're still learning. This is why I said earlier on, we believe strongly that you had to learn from auto to optimize allo. Uh, and I think that has been proven out by our BCMA program, uh, as well as, um, you know, our PSMA program now. The other biggest challenge for auto is just cost and time, right? I mean, it is a very costly proposition uh, when you are manufacturing each patient's product individually. You know, we have some advantages there because we don't use virus. Virus is very expensive to manufacture and to use. Uh, you know, our piggyback technology, our cast clover gene editing technologies are non-viral, they're basically RNA and DNA, simple to make and expensive. So we do have some advantages there, which has been helpful, but um, you know that's gonna continue to be a challenge for auto. E even these folks that are pursuing the sort of quick to you know, treat models are still gonna have to bring the patients in, you know, and they have all the associated costs, especially if they're using AAV. So part of the, our solution to the cost was to move away from virus and to use a technology that was cheaper, better, faster, and easier to use. You know, in Allo, I think the challenges we're still learning, right? Now, there's huge benefits in Allo in that you're starting with healthy donor material in our case, or some people are using, you know, IPSC-derived cell banks to try to differentiate their starting material. So you have more control over your donor material, your starting material, which is good. You know, the challenges are we're still learning. I think the learnings are how do you do gene insertion and gene editing in a cell without making too many modifications that could give rise to additional challenges. Um, how do you, in our case, preserve the stem cell memory phenotype, which we think is critically important to, to the performance of these cell products? You know, and I think that those things just take a lot of process development and experimentation. Um, you know, there's something we also call the dirty little secret of, of CART, allocart T, which nobody ever talks about. Some people now are starting to refer to it as the allotax. And that is, if you're trying to make an allogeneic product, particularly a T-cell-based product, you know, you need to knock out the TCR, right, to eliminate graft versus host. <clears throat> and so what most people don't think about is that most people use the TCR to expand their cells during manufacturing. So if you've knocked out the TCR, then you really have no good way to expand those cells during manufacturing. Right. And that was a problem for us early on. We, we developed a technology called the booster molecule that we use during our manufacturing process that functionally substitutes for the TCR during manufacturing that allows us to expand these cells to many very, very large numbers without changing their phenotype. So a huge advancement in terms of developing technology to address what I think is one of the biggest issues with LOCAR-T. And so, you know, we've shown that we can get, you know, depending on the final commercial dose, up to hundreds, if not even more doses from a single manufacturing run. And so a huge advantage that I think has been solved by technology, for sure. <clears throat> and then in gene therapy, I mean, I think the biggest challenge for everybody has been 
obviously the use of AAV, which we are moving away from. I mean, AAV is expensive, as I mentioned earlier, you know, driven most of the safety issues that have existed in the gene therapy space with 20 plus clinical holds. And that really is because AAV is not, you know, particularly efficient at getting, you know, DNA into cells that will express. And so people keep dosing up, dosing up, dosing up, and then have associated toxicity. So, you know, our answer to that is moving away from AAV altogether. Uh, moving to nanoparticle delivery. And I think that, you know, that is the future. Uh, we also use a technology that is integrating. So it actually in a piggyback or super piggyback integrates the DNA right into, or <clears throat> excuse me, integrates your gene right into the DNA. And it's very, very efficient. And so, you know, that actually would allow us to even dose reduce further just because the technology is very efficient, unlike virus. So, you know, I think all of those things together, I think moving away from virus, virus has been the biggest challenge. We haven't really faced that. You know, our challenge is then we're using a technology that is novel and new. And, you know, there's always learnings along the way when you're the first one, you know, moving down a path with a new technology. But, you know, those programs are a little earlier. I'm sure there'll be more opportunities for growth and development in gene therapy as we continue to move it forward. So. Good, good. Thank you. That's a a lot of exceptionally good information for our listeners too. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the best practices or the biggest takeaways to ensure as you as you work toward scale up. And I know we talked at the beginning how the company is developing therapies across the board, yet actually very hyper focused. So, but I just want to get your um, input on scale up and how you're ensuring that that's happening. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, um, I mean, it's a difficult but interesting question when the science is still moving and you're trying to scale up the technology and process are in parallel, right? And so, you know, I, I would say in cell therapy, the thing that we decided to do early on was for the autologous programs to use CMOs rather than to try to do it ourselves. And if you think back five years, that was an unusual move. Most of the people in the autologous space decided to run out and build $100 million manufacturing facilities, right? You saw them popping up all over the place about five years ago. We made the decision not to do that. And we knew that that would come with the challenges of managing the CMO in the long term. But our goal was always to get to aloe. So we didn't want to invest in an auto manufacturing facility because that looks much different than an allogeneic manufacturing facility. Now, having said that, we did make the decision to build a small GMP scale, you know, pilot plant here in San Diego. And as I said, the MUC1C is the first program coming out of that. And, I, you know, that would, that really has been sort of a godsend. I mean, it's allowed us to do very, very fast process development, implement process changes as we got the ALO programs up and running. Uh, and I think we've just learned a lot along the way that we would not have learned had we not had the experience with the CMOs and the auto program. Um, and again, I, I think constant innovation is required. I mean, I mentioned the booster molecule in our ALO program, you know, lots of other process improvements and changes that we've implemented along the way, you know, and those things are critical because when science keep moving, you want to evolve the program. I mean, I think one of the bigger challenges probably in, in cell therapy and gene therapy is, you know, the regulatory structure and environment is not really suited at this point for cell, living cell therapies or genetic engineering. I mean, it's still highly geared toward small molecules and antibodies. And, you know, it's just going to take time. As we all know, the regulatory landscape is slow to evolve, but uh, working within that is a challenge. So constant innovation and just being diligent about pushing stuff forward 
um, you know, I think is the, is the key for how we think about overcoming uh, and dealing with some of those manufacturing challenges. Yeah. In gene therapy, I mean, I think, again, our, our decision early on to move away from AAV and completely avoid a lot of the headaches associated with that was key. That comes with other challenges uh, as well, but I think the downstream benefits of that strategic decision early on will pay dividends, and it's, it's looking like we're you know, on the cusp of really uh, kind of breaking through in some initial gene therapy indications. So pretty excited about that as well. Good, good. Okay. Thank you. Uh, all right. Well, we've reached the formal end of our discussion. And um, at the end of every episode, uh, our listeners know that I like to talk to our to my guests about what they're doing outside of the office or the lab. And so my question for you, Mark, is so what are you watching these days or reading? Are you a movies person, a TV streaming person? And if not, if you're not a screen person, uh, what books or audio books have you been enjoying lately? Talk us, talk us through a little bit of that. <laughs> well, I would say outside of the office, I mean, for me, number one is just spending time with family, honestly. You know, we like to travel. We bought an Airstream travel trailer. I would say that is, I don't call that camping because that is not camping. <laughs> but, but um, you know, I would say reading, I used to be an avid reader. But over the course of time, I find myself reading so much at work during the day that when I go home, reading isn't as relaxing as maybe it was once. once We're preaching to the choir. Yeah. Um, You know, I would also say I'm not a huge screen person. I mean, uh, you know, there are some things, you know, notable that I would say that I've loved in the last year or so. I mean, The Queen's Gambit, if you're familiar with that show on Netflix or The Crown. Um, you know, sadly, I would have to say I haven't seen I used used to be and still am a big movie buff, but I haven't seen a great movie in the last two years that I would definitely recommend. Um, so, you know, maybe we revert sometimes to rewatching old classics, which for us probably show my age and many of them are black and white. So let's not even go there. But... <laughs> <laughs> They're classics for a reason. Everybody loves them. Black and white color doesn't matter. Uh, well, I'm glad you're, it sounds like you're an avid uh, Airstream camper, did you say? I am. That's, that's amazing. Tell us a little fun fact about that. What do you find enjoyable about it? Well, we just like getting away from the city. I mean, it actually was a godsend to own it during the pandemic because there was not a lot of other travel happening. I mean, we also love the mountains. So we'll just go out and find some remote place, you know, up in the mountains uh, on federal parkland. We don't necessarily and often don't do campgrounds, so we're kind of off the grid although off the grid with a fairly luxurious small house we're talking about in the truck. But, uh, but uh, you know, we, we just like that. It's just very relaxing to get away and just uh, have a time to decompress, uh, ideally without cell service. Um, <laughs> there's nothing like it. And it's, and it's a nice way to force you to be off the grid. So that's exactly. wonderful. I love it. I love it. All right, listeners, that wraps up this episode of Selling Gene, the podcast featuring Mark Gergen from Poseidon Therapeutics. Mark, thank you so much for your time. This is extremely informative. All right. Well, Aaron, thanks for having me. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Be sure to check out sellinggene.com to register for our free newsletter so you don't miss the timely and impactful editorial and content to help you perform your Selling Gene therapy role better. We'll talk to you soon.